When we talk about childhood trauma, it's pretty much assumed that it was the parents who harmed you. What we don't talk about as much is how often the abuser is a sibling, or there's an abusive dynamic among siblings that took root in a household where the parents neglected or abused the kids, sometimes singling out one child as the scapegoat and poisoning the whole family. Sometimes the problems go on for decades. What do you do in the aftermath of sibling abuse? My letter today is from a woman I'll call Jeannie, and she writes, Hi, Anna. My letter is about a sibling of mine. I notice siblings are not discussed too much as a source of trauma, and this is profound, I think, she says. I've got my fairy pencil back. The one that I lost on the plane is gone forever, but I got another one. I'm going to circle uh, things I want to come back to on a second reading, but let me just read through Jeannie's letter and we'll see what, what's going on and see if I can help. So she says, I'm the oldest of three girls. My mother had me when she was 19 and she was unwed in 1959. So this was a gigantic shame that she, as being emotionally immature and very unwell emotionally, put on me. She says, probably at a minimum, a narcissist and possibly worse than that. I was told at an aunt's house by my grandmother that my dad, Jack, was not my dad. My mom would refuse to tell me anything about my biological dad. The topic was not allowed to be discussed at all in the household. When I was 18 months old, my mom married a man we called Jack, and my mom and Jack had two girls, Mary and Catherine, three and four years younger than me. The girls were treated completely different from me. They had clothes. I had one pair of pants. They had shoes. I didn't. As we got older, this continued. For example, my sister got a car and I didn't. I remember one time we were all going shopping for school clothes, and when I picked out something, my mother said, no, you aren't getting any, and I was told to sit on the stairs at the department store while she bought clothes for my sisters. I remember going back home and looking at the one pair of pants hanging in my closet. Interestingly, this just made me determined to buy my own clothes one day, and I've done that in a very good career. My middle sister, Mary, in hindsight, was always mean. For example, she would walk by me and yank on my hair really hard in the back and then scream and cry and say that I had hurt her. One day I came home from school. She got home earlier than I did, and all the items from my bed were thrown in the street. She ruined my makeup. On and on, but you get the picture. And my mom did nothing about this, but instead blamed me when something went wrong because I was the oldest. My stepdad, Jack, was an alcoholic and was not home very much. My mom was really frustrated with him and used to load all of us three girls into the car, drive us down to the bar, send me in the bar to get him out. Mm. I would go to the bar, sit there, and drink a cup of coffee, and he would not even acknowledge me, and he would not come out of the bar. I don't remember interacting with him at all. I don't think we even had a conversation. He killed himself when I was 11, and my sisters were about seven and six. Then we moved. Ah. I graduated from high school, went to college, moved away, and went to law school. About 20 years ago, I had some health problems that scared me, and so I came back home. Big mistake. My mother was her same awful self, and I did a family cutoff four years ago. Very, very glad I did that. Same with my middle sister. What a witch she still is. But my youngest sister, Catherine, hmm, I think she's what is called the lost child. 
She was very quiet. We got along really well when we were at home as kids. I remember being at school, she in grade school and me in junior high, and I protected her. She never did anything mean to me, nor I to her. From the chaos of our house, we were all just trying to survive. When I went to college and then moved, I tried to maintain contact, but no one would come to the state where I lived, so I would always fly here, rent a car, and drive to her house. She had two girls, divorced, remarried, and had a son. She was in a long-term marriage. She was a stay-at-home mom. When I came back here for good, I tried and tried and tried to visit her, and I called her, and she would not call back. And I would ask my mom, where is Catherine? Why won't she call back? Is this her right number? Where does she live now? Why isn't she included? And my mom would just shrug and roll her eyes in that infuriating way she has of not answering questions. I can think of at least two times at family gatherings like birthday parties, I would try to talk to my sister, but it was like she did not want to talk to me. I couldn't understand it. I still don't understand it. About a month ago, I had a phone message blocked because I don't take calls from my sister Mary that my youngest sister had died at age 58 from sudden cardiac arrest. I've not spoken to my younger sister for years. All of this just feels so surreal, and I think it, it's all just very sad. It seems that no matter what, from the chaos of the dysfunctional mother, you cannot turn it around and reestablish some kind of relationship with an adult sibling. Now I just feel kind of strange about it. I really don't know my sister. I haven't spoken to her in almost a decade. I just find this whole thing very odd and would appreciate your comments. Thank you. Oh gosh, Jeannie, I'm really sorry. This is so sad. Uh, you're amazing, by the way. So it's interesting. I relate to a lot of aspects of your story, so I'll give you my take on it, but let's see what you told me. Okay. So you were born when your mom was 19 and she wasn't married and she felt ashamed and she was emotionally immature and she put nasty emotions on you. Sounds like she kind of blamed you. You said she's probably a, a, at minimum a narcissist and probably worse than that. And I don't what you mean, I'm guessing like psychopath or something. I was told at an aunt's house by your grandmother that he, your dad wasn't your dad. And um, your mom refused to tell you anything about it. That's so sad and hard. The topic was not allowed to be discussed at all. And when you were 18 months old, your mom married a man and had two more girls who were much younger than you, and they got treated differently. You know, I'm really sorry about that. That is almost inevitable when one parent comes into a marriage with an existing kid and then has more kids. It's, it's almost inevitable that the new kids will be treated differently, but it sounds like your mom really rubbed it in. Um, and so they got clothes, you had these, you had minimalist clothes, like Cinderella. You remind me of Cinderella. Um, they had shoes, you didn't. As you got older, it continued. They got a car, you didn't. Um, and so what I love about this is that you decided to succeed in life and be able to buy your own clothes, and now you have this good career. Very good. You know, it sounds like as the oldest daughter who was scapegoated, that's what we're talking about here, you're scapegoated, which families with narcissistic parents do that. Lots of dysfunctional families do that. I don't know why it's like human nature to just sort of single a person out and act as if they are the problem when it's so clear from what happened with your parents that they really brought their own problems to the family. 
And that's so unfair. And I'm so sorry they did that to you. I mean, how is a kid? It sounds like you knew, like you recognized all along that it wasn't fair. That's not who you were. But how are you not going to be affected by that? Right. And your sister threw your stuff in the street. Um, that's interesting. My mother had a sister who was a who who I think may have been a narcissist. There were a lot of problems there. You know, I never saw her mental health records or anything, but there were many problems, a lot of abuse of her own kids. And she would tear up my mother's things and throw her stuff in the street. She ruined your makeup. Yeah. Wow. That is a vicious um, and kind of a typical narcissist thing to do. It's true. And your mother didn't do anything about it, but blamed you because you're the oldest. So gosh, you, nobody had your back. Wow. And then your stepdad was a drunk and not home very much. And your mom was frustrated about it. And, you know, not to excuse your mom's abuse of you, but living with him must have been hell for her and totally scary, especially back then when it would have been pretty difficult for a woman to be financially secure enough to leave uh, a horrible person like that. And then he would just stay out drinking and your mom would use you as a surrogate to go into the bar. Like, why you? Why not her? Was it some pride thing or something? Um, that's just a classically sick, <laughs> narcissistic parent, alcoholic dynamic of sending a kid into the bar to go get the drunk dad. And then he died. He took his own life. How horrible. And you sort of mentioned this just in passing. So I'm guessing that it was a relief or it didn't affect you very deeply, but I'm sure it was devastating on the whole dynamic of the family. But then you graduated, you went to college, you moved away, you became a lawyer. Awesome. <laughs> That's a nice, tough job. I mean, a t like tough, like strong, right? And then you went home because of health problems, <laughs> because <laughs> maybe it'll be different now. That's what families are for, right? You know, when you need some help, go back to them. But you figured that out pretty quick, like new, no. and you cut off contact um, with your mom and your sister. But there's this youngest sister and you called her the lost child, the lost child in a family that has, this is the, this is the dynamic as you know, but there's a scapegoat that's you. Um, and there's the golden child and perhaps that was Mary and the one that they can do no wrong in the eyes of the parents. And then there's the lost child who everybody just ignores and they're quiet and they don't make trouble. And everybody goes, Oh, they're just so nice. What a good kid. They never gave me any trouble. So that was that sister. Mm -hmm. We had all those roles in my family too. And, um, my family has lost most of the people in it, but it's healing. And I would say that for a very long time, um, <laughs> I did have a little turn as a golden child, but then not, then I was the scapegoat. And now I feel like what's left of my family is healing and nobody has to play these dumb roles anymore. And it's pretty cool, which is a miracle I didn't expect. But, uh, most of my life, I, it's been some weird thing. So you and your little sister got along well and you never hurt each other and you protected her, but she's not talking to you. Ouch. And this thing you describe where you kept asking your mom, like, what happened? Where is she? Why isn't she calling me back? And your mom just nodded. I think what you're saying here is that it sounds like she knew, like she knew that your sister's not speaking to you and she knew why. And it's like their little secret. And that's awful that they ganged up on you like that. You tried to reach out to her a lot of times and you tried to talk to her and it yeah. And she just wouldn't call you back. So this is what I'm guessing. I don't know what her relationship to the rest of the family was exactly, but she grew up in the same crazy dynamic 
you know, her dad uh, took his own life. <laughs> she, she would have had a lot of trauma around that alone, let alone all the dynamics of everybody and all the trouble. But she was able to get married and have some kids. And I don't know if her family is, if that was like healthy, if that, if she got a good thing going on, but I'll tell you what I, um, when I got away from my family, there was a long period where I got very anxious when anybody made, in, made contact with me only because they were connected to all that crazy stuff. And yeah, I was aware that some people were more trouble than others, but I needed to form my own identity away from it. I needed to be me and not be defined by it. And also there was a way that if you let one family member into your life, like it could let the other ones in who were trouble. And it was really a pattern that I'd be like making progress in my life. And then some sort of like some member of the family who was really troubled would sort of make contact again. And it would have this way of like infecting my life with trouble. And I did not want any more trouble. I created my own trouble plenty, but but I'm just wondering if that's what it is, if, if it's like she just needed to distance herself from all of it. Or, I don't know, maybe you did something, and I don't know if there's any way to find out. Maybe her husband or kids know something. Maybe that's worth pursuing. Maybe it's not. I don't think necessarily knowing these things is important, but if it troubles you and troubles you, you might want to find out, like, what was that about, if you can. So then you found out that she died. And 58, that's, like, younger than me. That's terrible from sudden cardiac arrest. And sadly, there's been a lot of that lately. I've not spoken to her for years and yeah, it feels awful. You know, so you sound a little bit in shock and I shouldn't be surprised, Jeannie, if right now you're just kind of like, whoa, she's gone. I didn't get to see her, but that a wave of emotion comes for you later when you're ready you know, when there's space for it for you. And I think if you've had to cope with the pain of being scapegoated by your family, you know, your one sister was a witch, one wouldn't speak to you anymore, gave you the silent treatment, your mom and all her accusations and crap. And that's, that's everybody, right? That's everybody. I'm so sorry that that happened. Um, and I think that it's good you got away. I think that's a, a job well done. You did try to reach your sister, so I'm sure she knew that you tried. So I hope that gives you peace. And emotions may come up like waves a little bit. Grief comes in waves sometimes. Also, as you recover from CPTSD, um, I do, this is definitely like the case. I use my daily practice techniques, and over time, sometimes, whoo, this whole portal of awareness opens up. I don't really have blocked memories, but suddenly I can see things in a new light or I can feel very palpably, um, you know, where somebody was coming from when around something that happened 40 years ago where all the people have died. And, and that means a lot to me. I value that. So I hope you have some kind of evolution of those relationships through your increased awareness from healing from trauma. Now that your family's not in your life at all, healing is inevitable. <laughs> well, maybe not inevitable, but it is with you because you're working on it here. The fact that you write in, I know you're working on it. And um, I wish you, I wish you well. And um, those of us who have had to separate from family members stand together with you and um, send you love and best wishes. Thank you so much for listening. If you love my content, think about joining my membership program. You can find out more information about that and all my courses and coaching programs at crappychildhoodfairy.com. Remember, healing is possible. People with childhood PTSD can have a wonderful life. Sometimes we just need a few workarounds. I'll see you next time.